All right, well, this morning, man, is it raining right now? Is that what that is? All right, well, this morning, man, is it raining right now? Is that what that is? That is crazy on the roof. So this morning, I wanted to share with you a little bit from God's Word, and I hope you've come prepared. I know some of you ran in here in the pouring rain, and I'm, I'm sure that uh, God's going to honor that act of faith on your part of racing in in the pouring rain uh, with a revelation from His Word today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something today that I, I said I wasn't going to do, you know. Um, I said it to myself. I didn't say it to anybody else. But um, I, some of you know that last week we kind of headed out of town. Um, I, well, I wasn't here last week, but the week before, I guess, we headed out of town. We were gone last week. Got in Monday. Thank you for all your prayers where we were gone. And, um, and, and I, I swore to myself that when I took this trip, I was not going to be pastoring or doing anything like a pastor would do. I was just going to totally be in the moment on the trip. That was my purpose. And, and I kind of made that promise between me and God. And see, the thing is that I've realized is that God doesn't listen to us. We listen to him, you know. And so I just want to do something. I swore I wasn't going to do it. And I just want to be honest about that because I'm going to eat some crow because I'm going to share some things with you this morning uh, that were experiences that I had. And, um, and, that, and this whole idea, what we're going to talk about today, I hope it's a blessing to you. But this was the kind of word that God gave to me, this, and I'll tell you about our journey in a moment, but this word was dissatisfied. I mean, dissatisfied. I don't know if in your life you're completely satisfied. I don't know if there's any part of your life you think, man, that's not right, or that's not the way I'd like to have that, you know. Um, I don't know if, if, if that is true for you. I'm almost sure it is. I'm sure that all of us can find some area of our lives that we just go, man, that's not right. That's not the way it ought to be. And so this word that came out is dissatisfied. But I want to share with you where it came from because it's kind of an interesting thing. I'm not sure how well you can see this. Um, I call this two-lane revelation. One thing that we did when we took this trip is we didn't take the interstate. We took two lanes. Uh, and, and I'll tell you what, America is beautiful. Beautiful. You know, we have PB&J up here in the square on Fridays, and there are moments at the PB&J when you're sitting there, and the breeze is blowing, and the sun is shining, and the band is playing, and the kids are getting popsicles, and they're, you know, doing the craft thing, and they're all this, and the flags are gently, and the fountain's going on, and you just realize, this is beautiful. This beautiful, the country we live in. It's beautiful, the city we live in. It's beautiful, the community we exist in. And, and, and I, I have those moments at the PB&J where I'm like, man, Highland rocks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I love it here. I just look at that setup, the mama, yes. And I tell you what, this trip across the country reminded me, this Tulane, that America's beautiful. You know, what I realized is that Highland isn't all that unique. If you take a two-lane across this country, you just keep going around these town squares that are beautiful. They, they got their own stories. They got their own breeze. They got their own glory. They got their own revelation. And, and I can't tell you what, you know, these are just random pictures that I took as we rode across the country. But I would just come down and I'm like, it's beautiful, this two-lane road, this country that we live in. And, you know, two weeks ago is the last time I've talked to you about anything, and we talked about, it was the 4th of July. You know, so all this kind of comes together for me as I'm riding across the country east. And, and with Nathan, by the way, he's, he's on behind me there being very patient. And we, we rode, it was about 10 or 12 hours a day we ride. But i tell you what I realized on this two-lane trip. 
There are motorcycles. There are campers. We love campers in this country because they're everywhere on the two lanes. Um, and and um, churches. There are churches everywhere. Everywhere. And, you know, here's one where it's like right in the middle. But, you know, they weren't always right in the middle. They were, they were kind of, they were just like dotted along the road. I'll tell you what I saw most of, of anything else. There's a little shot. There's, you can see, that's actually us looking back at one of the streets. What I really saw was Protestant churches, you know. And, and I thought it had been like First Baptist, but it was, it was Westminster Baptist. There must have been 20 Westminster Baptist churches, you know, on this little two-lane road. Uh, fellowship Baptist Church. I saw Family uh, Baptist Church. It wasn't Family Bible Church. I had to stop it and say something to them, you know. And as we rode across the country, I just kept seeing these churches. And you would think, and it was very encouraging, and in some ways it was. I'm like, wow, look at God's working. There's a church right there. And then I drive like five minutes, and there's another church right there. And then five minutes, there's one right here. And sometimes they're right across the street from each other, and there's a church, and there's a church, and there's a church. And you're just driving, and there was just hundreds of them. And then I started to see this pattern that one looks like that last one I saw. That one looks like that last one I saw. You know their, their, their summer blast, their VBS signs. Exactly the same. You, you know how many of those adventures in the high seas signs there are in this country right now. From Tennessee to, to Maryland, just everyone's doing the high seas adventure. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same. It's the same. And, and as... The, the, the further I went, the more I just got this feeling in my, I can't quite explain it. I kind of became very dissatisfied. I want to be clear, you know, because like I said, I was on vacation. I'm, I'm not dissatisfied in family Bible church. I, I think more than anything, I was kind of dissatisfied in myself. As I rode across the country and I saw a church after church doing the same thing, the same thing, the same thing, the same way, the same way. And I just thought, what are we doing? I don't know what it was. It was a revelation from God. And it's not new. It's, it's been there for a while. But I felt this this. There was something that wasn't right, that was lacking. There was something that wasn't real, that wasn't authentic about it. That you can just put up a building and put people in it and put up the same carpet and put up the same signs and it's the same, but it's, it's not. It should be different. There should be uniqueness. There should be beauty and creativity and, and we shouldn't see everything look the same. That's what my conviction was. And, and, and I tell you, I told you it was a personal conviction, and I hope that you don't mind me sharing that with you, but it was a really personal conviction that I got about this. Well, what are we doing? What am I doing? And the word that came to mind was the word from Scripture. As this dissatisfaction set in, and I was talking to God, because, you know, on a Harley, it's loud, but you can talk to God because he has good ears. And so I was talking to God while we were rolling down the highway, and I'm going, why am I so dissatisfied? And the word that came to me was from the Gospel of John. It was John 10.10. 10. And John 10.10 10 reads this way. It says, I came, this is Jesus who was speaking to his disciples, and he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
You know, if you look in your NIV, it'll say, I came that they may have life and have it to the full, which is kind of a weird way to say that, to the full. And so this is NASB, where Jesus says the same thing. It's just interpreted differently. But he says, I came that they could have life, that they could hold life, and that they would hold this life to the fullest, to the abundance and in this place of dissatisfaction of my own following Jesus, I started to wonder, am I holding life that is just abundant life? Does that make sense? I mean, this word right here, abundantly, it means exceedingly much, and it means exceedingly great quality. It means that the life that you're clinging to with Jesus is so beautiful and so overwhelming and so inspiring that you can't help but to keep following him. This word comes in the middle of the passage about him being the good shepherd, where he says, my sheep know my voice and I know my sheep. And at the end of this, he says, I have come to give them life, the sheep, that's us, the disciples of Jesus, and give it to the fullest extent. I don't know in your life if you have that abundant life in Jesus. But I can tell you that that dissatisfaction that started in me was just a, a confession to Christ that I didn't have it fully. That there are some parts of me that hold back. There are some parts of me that just go, I'm not ready for that. I, I can't trust that. I can't do that. And so today I want us to get into the Word. I want us to look at what abundant life looks like in Christ. And I'm trusting God for revelation this morning. I believe He brought you here to tell you something about your life. I believe He brought me here to tell me something about mine. And I believe the Word is going to do that for us today. And so I'm going to ask if you would join with me in prayer before we open the Word today. I'm going to ask that God would reveal things to our hearts and to our minds and to our souls that we could live in Christ. Pray with me if you would. Father God, today we come before you in this crazy day with storms around us and, and all these things that are happening, distractions. And Lord, today I pray right now that we would have minds set firmly on you. That we would have hearts that are just open to you. That we would have ears that could hear you. Lives that could reflect your glory. And yet, Lord, I know that as humans, we're broken and we're flawed and we're messed up and we don't even understand why fully. And so today, Lord, I'm not asking that we could muster the strength to do it ourselves, but I'm going to ask that your Holy Spirit would dwell richly in this place. That through your, your gift, we would receive divine revelation. That we would never be the same. And I trust you with it. And we pray these things together as your church, as your gathered people, in the name of Jesus, who made these promises over us. We pray these things in his name. Amen. And so I'm going to ask you, if you don't have a Bible with you today, I'm going to ask you to grab one. They're available at the ends of the rows. There's plenty today, right, since we're, we're pretty slim pickings here. And I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew 14, the 14th chapter of Matthew. Matthew is one of the other Gospels. John, I already quoted from John just now, but um, Matthew's another one of the Gospels in the Bible that tells the story of Jesus' life. We're going to look at t verse 22 through 33. And I know a lot of you this morning are going to say, well, yeah, I, I know this already. I mean, you can, 
you can see this coming, but I really want to walk through the text a little bit today and just talk about, because I believe that this is abundant life that Christ has called us to. I, I believe it, and I sense that, that we don't have it fully, that we don't live it out fully. And so I want to hear this narrative, this story that Matthew writes down about this experience they had with Jesus. It comes on the heels of him feeding a whole bunch of people with not a lot of food because he's the miracle worker. And this is what it says in verse 22. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he, was, while he stayed and dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance, many stadia, from land. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was blowing against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, the disciples, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Well, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Most of you have probably heard this story before, right? We kind of make jokes about, well, I do. I don't know if you do. Make jokes about Jesus walking on water. I've made a few of those, you know. And, and, and we hear this story of his disciples in a boat going across the lake after he does a miracle. And, and I don't know where you are, and I know there's been times in my life where I've looked at this story, and the words that I've wanted to scream with Jesus is, oh, you of little faith, <laughs> why do you doubt? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, Jesus, you tell them, because they don't have any faith. I want to spend some time today getting the picture of what's happening here. You know, this morning we have this rain happening around us and a storm blowing. And even to run from the car to the door was terrifying for some of you, right? I want you to think about that. You know, the first thing I realize when I, when I, when I hear the text, the first thing I notice is that Jesus puts us in some crazy situations do you know what the word said this morning? Did you hear what it said? It said, he made them get in the boat. Jesus did. When it was nice and calm, he's like, you're going to go to the other side, get in the boat. He made them get in the boat. And I think about our lives and, and you know, there's these times in our lives where we follow Jesus and he says, he's like, hey, we're going to take a trip together. You ready? And we're like, yeah, we're ready. You know, and you get on the Harley because that's the way I would go with Jesus. And you just take off with them and it's going to be great. And then all of a sudden in the middle of it, fear begins to surround you. 
and obstacles begin to trip you up and, and, and something happens and the wind is blowing against you. You heard the story. I just want us to think about this. His disciples who went and got the bread and stuff and came back and he fed the 5,000 and he dismisses them into the boat and they must have been on cloud nine, man. It's so cool. Did you see what Jesus just did back there? That was awesome. And you're paddling the boat or you're sailing the boat. I don't know how these boats work back then, right? But whatever's happening, maybe you had the outboard, probably not the outboard, but whatever's happening, they're going across the boat and, and, um, and you know, then all of a sudden things get crazy. Things get absolutely nuts. And here's the key. Jesus led them there. Jesus said, get in the boat. We're taking a trip. And, and I know that that's my experience with Jesus is that you, you start and you're going, yeah, this is great. And then all of a sudden there's adversity and there's trials and there's tribulation. And there's things happening around you. And you just go, how did we get in this mess? Who talked us into this? So the first thing that I wanted to remember from the text is that Jesus put the disciples in the boat. He had a plan and he placed them there for a purpose. So here's the story. And again, I don't think we can quite get this, but they're in the boat and they're going across the lake. I don't know how far of a journey this is, but it doesn't seem like a big deal to go across the lake in a boat to me, right? Especially if these guys were fishermen. Remember, Peter was a fisherman, right? And John was a fisherman. And these guys knew what they were doing out there in the boat. This wasn't weird for them. But they get out in the boat and evening comes. And, and uh, there's a whole lot we could say here, but I, I kind of want to focus on a few things that in the middle of this lake, in the middle of this uh, in this boat, a storm comes up. And this isn't just a storm that's coming up, but it's a storm in the middle of the night. It says evening came. And so here, here the disciples are in this boat. I'm sure they didn't have like lights. I don't know how that worked again. But they're out there and they're fighting in the darkness, in the storm. And they don't know what this is about. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking, but I'm sure, I, I don't know what they were thinking, but I'm sure they were just trying to get there, you know, just trying to get it over with. But there's something in their following of Jesus that just that is an act of faith. You know, these are fishermen. They could have gone back to shore, couldn't they? Maybe they couldn't. Maybe they tried, you know. So they're out there in the storm, in the dark. Now see, that's different. Because Jesus did miracles a few hours ago, but now it's dark and it's stormy. And things are hard. And what do we do? And so I want you to get that, that here they are, they have each other, but not much else. They have this boat, but it's about to be dashed against the rocks or whatever is happening, and the storm is blowing, and they're, they're far enough, and they can't get to the bank, but they can't get across, the, and they're just stuck, and they're in the middle, and there's a storm going around them. And in the middle of all of this, who walks up but Jesus? Now, I want to tell you something, and it says it in the Word. It says they were terrified when he walked up to them. These are fishermen. And they see him on the water and they're terrified. And it says they were filled with fear. 
I don't know if that's, you know, how your life gets, but that's how my life gets. Like in the middle of that storm, whenever I've cried out and cried out, I had a conversation this week with somebody who said, I've been praying and praying and I'm not sure God's listening anymore. I want to tell you that in the middle of that storm, that fear begins to well up in us and it's a natural reaction. And I want you to see that even in the middle of this storm, this following of Jesus, they were being obedient. He comes up and he's giving them love through his approach, but it's received as fear. What are you doing? Who are you? But I want to tell you what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be serious about your faith. Because in the middle of this storm, in the middle of this fear, Jesus speaks and he says, he says this to me. I want to read it here with you again. But it says, they say, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus said... Dead. Oh, I'm back. All right. If it goes again, I'm just going to keep preaching because the word will preach with or without a microphone. So listen to what it says. Jesus says, take courage in his eye. Don't be afraid. And here is Peter's response. Here is his response. By the way, I skipped something. I think it was the fourth watch of the night. Does it say that already? Where did it say that at? Thank you. 25. During the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night. Now, I want to give you, do you know when that is? 3 a.m. That's what I found out. Maybe it's, it's just before we ever got to the part where Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. <laughs> you know, I mean, we pick on Peter for being, oh, you of little faith. There's like 11 guys in the boat <laughs> just happy to be in the boat thinking Peter has lost his mind. I want to be a disciple like Peter. I want to be following Jesus like that. In the middle of the chaos of life, in the middle of the storms, in the middle of the fear, in the middle of the terror, in the middle of us thinking it's something that it's not, I want to be the kind of people who would say, Lord, if it's you, call me to come to you. And then get out of the boat and walk toward our Savior in an impossible way, in an impossible situation. Jesus makes a way. And so Peter does it. He has this, Peter, for me, has this zest for life. He has that life to the fullest. As he walks, and he does it repeatedly. He's not perfect, but he does it repeatedly in his, his discipleship with Jesus, where he just follows him, crazy things, and he's okay with it. Peter, you're weird. He's like, I'm following Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Peter, what are you thinking? I'm following Jesus. I will say this about Peter. He had the sense to ask, Lord, if it's you, call me. You know, you could have just dove out of the boat and swam over there, I guess. He says, if it's you, call me. That's a good lesson for us. That in the middle of the storms, we can say, God, if you're in this, if you're in this mess, call me to walk towards you. Call me to find you in the storm. Well, we know the story. Peter looks around and sees the waves and he starts to sink and he says, Lord, save me. And there's that moment and Jesus does say, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, Peter got out of the boat. I mean, he took some risks. And that's one thing that I realized from the story 
that for a disciple of Jesus, taking a risk is normative behavior. It's what you do. People go, that don't make sense to me. That's right. You know, I'm not saying you do crazy stuff for crazy stuff's sake, but I'm saying that there are times in your life that you will take risks because you're a follower of Jesus. I also want to notice from the text today that this whole experience with Jesus and Peter is an experience of relationship. Do you see the conversation keeps happening? Do you see how that works? You know, he didn't just get the Jesus, you know, Jesus card in his pocket and now he can do miracles. He's talking the whole time. Lord, if it's you, let me come out and walk to you. Jesus says, come on out here, Peter. Peter's walking on the water and he says, Lord, save me. Jesus saves him and says, why do you doubt? But Peter is building a relationship of faith with Jesus. I tell you the biggest problem in the church today, and I have this problem, church, so I'm not picking on you, is if we don't take risks, we don't learn to trust Jesus. That's why mile after mile, these churches that looked exactly the same was discouraging. Because where's the risk? In this risk-taking, we begin to learn to trust Jesus. We begin to learn when we, we hit our doubts and we start to sink. And we begin to learn the kind of Savior that we have that won't quit. He won't quit. And he saves us every time. And the last thing that I want to share from this text is, is that there's this experience, and Peter's the best at it, you see, because Peter's the guy also who says, uh, I'll never betray you, Jesus, and then he betrays him. It comes after this, <laughs> right? Hard to believe that Peter could do that after this. But he does. He says, oh, I'll never betray you. And he does. But Peter's life is a life of trial and error. Are you dissatisfied? Try something else. And, I, and I, mean, I mean true life here because I think that we're distracted by the world. We're distracted by the life that we think we want. I mean, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you should be trying stuff with Jesus. You should be growing in that, taking risks with Jesus. And, and, and it's, and it's going to encompass all your real life stuff too. It's going to be the, the world stuff too, but it's going to be different. You know what I'm saying? Try something new, trial and error, see what works. You know, one of my favorite things I, I heard um, whenever I was going to school and stuff was John Wesley used to keep a diary because he believed so much in the faith that he had in Jesus Christ that he wanted to know what worked and what didn't. And so what he would do is he would try something, he would write down in a book, tried. Tried. You know what I mean? Like he would say, you know, um, uh, Jesus can heal people, prayed, tried. You know, uh, had a surgery, tried. He would try anything. He would just try it, see if Jesus was in it. This experience of trial and error becomes a building of a faith relationship that works for Peter. It begins to develop in him this craving. So I'm going to turn to one more text today. But before I do, I, I want us to know that... Um, we can get addicted to the stuff of Jesus and not care about Jesus. I think that's what the church has done. To be honest with you, the reason I think that there's so many churches that are the same is because they're addicted to the stuff and not to Jesus. I think that they put the pointy thing on top of the building because they have to, because that's what the other church did, not because of Jesus. I think they have red carpet because that's what the church on the street did, not because of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I think that, that you begin to conform because you think more about the walking on the water than the Savior you're walking toward. I hope you hear what I'm saying. You can become addicted to the miracles. Jesus, just do a miracle one more time for me. The miracles, what I want, Jesus. I want the miracle. Why don't we want Jesus? Why don't we want Jesus? 
Peter did. I'm going to turn here to John. You can turn if you want, John 6, but you don't have to. I'm just going to read you this, this story. We're going to do something today. We're going to share in a time of communion with our Lord and Savior Jesus. But I want to remind, uh, just retell this story about uh, what Jesus says about himself in the Gospel of John. It's chapter 6, verse 48. This is what Jesus says. He says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers, that's the Israelites, ate the manna in the desert, and yet they died. Remember, the manna was the daily provision that God gave them. But here before you is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Jesus says, if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, because the bread is my flesh, which I will give. Listen, for the life of this world. He gives himself for our life, for that real life, that abundant life. And now I want to skip down to verse 66 of John 6 because this is what it says. It says, from this time, after some arguing, you can read the middle stuff if you want. It says, from this time on, many of Jesus' disciples turned back and no longer followed him. When he began to say, you have to be part of me to receive eternal life, they turned away and quit following him. And this is Jesus' question to the disciples who are left. He says, you do not want to leave me too, do you? And I want you to see the response. He asked the 12 disciples this question. And Simon Peter answered his Lord and Savior, Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And I think that there's in, in that confession of Peter to say, where else would we go? He, he was so into this relationship, so into this following of Jesus. You know, the word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I think that the satisfaction that many of us feel with how we are the church, how we exist as the church, is a dissatisfaction because we've tasted real. We know the Lord. And this, this stuff becomes not what it is. It's not Jesus. And so Peter asks, where would we go? To whom would we turn? Because you have the words of eternal life. I, and I'm sure you would agree with me, want to be the kind of a disciple that's following Jesus. That's the marker. That's the bar. And everything that we do together as a church becomes a manifestation of us following Jesus. 
and I'm in that journey with you, and, and this, is, this is us following him, and this is becomes of how we function as the church of Jesus Christ, following after our, our Lord, our Savior, the Messiah, the Anointed One. And so in this way, we follow him together, and, and we have conversations, and we talk to him and each other. But this becomes the manifestation of a unique revelation of Jesus to his people, and that's what I think that we're called to do. I really do. So then, at the end of the day, our satisfaction comes 100% from Jesus. You see what I mean? I mean, if you're Peter and you got out of the boat and you made it across a storm, that was just getting to Jesus. You know what I'm saying? You're walking down the street and your heart's warm within you. The heartwarming was cool, but it's because you're with Jesus. And he becomes the totality of our experience, everything that we long for, everything that we want, everything that we desire, and we pursue him recklessly, foolishly, with abandon because he's calling. I hope that's the kind of disciple you want to be. That's the kind of disciple I want to be. I want to be following Jesus. You know, uh, one of the quotes that stuck with me for a long time now is from a, a guy, Pastor John Piper, and some of you might know who he is, but he has this quote, and it's just stuck in my mind. It says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That somehow by, by being quenched in the Lord, by being completely consumed by him, God is glorified in that. We always say, well, what can we do as a church to glorify God? Just get caught up in Jesus. Just follow Jesus. And you will be glorifying to God the Father. That's what the word says. And so today, I'm going to invite you if, you, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, and if you don't know what we're talking about, wherever you are, we believe here that your discipleship starts from the time that Jesus says, follow me, and it ends whenever we get to Jesus all the time, you know, and that's going to be sometime in the future, you know. But wherever you are in that continuum, I want to encourage you to take that next step of faith, whatever it is, and if you're just barely hanging on to be sitting in a church today. Praise God that you're here because he has you here for a reason. But in a minute, we're going to actually share in communion. And I want to remind you that this communion supper was the, that we call it the last supper. It was also the first meal, right? And, and we have this, uh, the first communion where he breaks bread and he says, this is my body. And then he, he thanks God for the cup and he says, this is my blood. And, and in this way, we receive him. And in this way, these disciples say, I can't follow a God who's going to consume me. I can't follow a God who's going to live in me. I can't follow a God who's going to require things of me. But this is Jesus' table. And so I want to say, if you know him as Lord and Savior today, this table is for you. It's not Family Bible Church's table. We didn't institute this. Jesus did. And we're going to celebrate it, and we're going to do what he said, which is remember him. So what we're going to do is we're going to pass around both the, um, the bread and the juice, and you can take one of each if you feel inclined as the Lord leads you to do that. And then you can receive those as you feel inclined as the Lord leads you to do that. But I want to say that if you don't know Jesus today and you're willing to take that risk and just say, yeah, I'll trust you with this. This is an act of faith to receive this ordinary stuff and look toward the extraordinary God is an act of faith. And you can do that today. And if you've been in the boat like me, and you've been, you know, kind of risk averse like me. Today's a day that you can receive the bread and receive the cup and say, Jesus, wherever you go, I'm going to follow you. It's dangerous. 
But you can do it today if you want to. Pray with me if you would. Savior Jesus, today we come into your house seeking your wisdom and your word and your will and your purpose. And we come to a table today of ordinary crackers and juice, but we know that something exceptional happens because you're involved. We pray, Lord, today for those parts of our life and our heart that would turn away from you, that would not seek you with everything that we have, and that would rather be safe than be saved. We pray, Lord, if we come to your table that you would have mercy and grace for where we are. That if we find ourselves right now drowning, you would just save us. If we find ourselves in the boat, we would be still in your company. We love you so much for the way you continually reveal yourself to us. And we just give you this time, Father. We thank you for it. We give you our hearts and our lives. Thank you for them. Do your will among us. Have your way and come what may. We pray that by your power, we'll always be confessing the glory of God through our lives. We love you and we thank you. We thank you for this table and this gift. In Jesus' name, amen.